So there's two things that I have done that I put on paper that I consider probably one, two of the most important things I've ever done. And they're both like diagrams. And then I blew these up in posters. And we have them on our church wall for people to see them. We also have a, what we believe about divine healing and, and things like that that just gives us a clear cut. Now, all of that is in this manual. And so if you have the manual, you can look at it. Now, well, two things I want to bring up. And then we're going to get into, probably, uh, into a couple of things. But I believe that these two charts will really help you. He's teasing me. <laughs> Popping a Coke can back there. So, in the very back, we have questions and answers about healings on page 102. And that is taken off of our website, because we have a lot of questions that people ask us. And so, I was trying to get some of them into the manual not just to help you, but also so you would have kind of a written answer for usually the questions that people will ask you also. So, that's one thing that you can read about. But just before that, on page 100, now, if you will use this chart, it will help you dramatically. Alright? On this chart, you'll notice there are six personages. Okay? God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, Christian, Satan, and man. Now, we have six lines. Then we have six descriptions. Kind of what I call divine job descriptions. So in the hierarchy of heaven, I wrote these down. Now, this is kind of like one of those things where, okay, you can fill in each one, but you can only use one of these for one of those. In other words, you cannot use this one more than once. And so you have to look down here and find out which of these descriptions best describes God. Then you write it right there. Alright? Then you go down to the next one, Jesus, Holy Spirit, and you just mark them out as you write them down so you can't use them twice. And once you get it, now, this is for you in the future. If you ever get to a place where you say, okay, is that God or is it the devil? Well, you just whip this out and you'll find out. Isn't that simple? You just look at it, oh, okay, that's, yeah, that's okay, that's, that's the devil. Okay, and, and the way you know that is that below here are all descriptions, most of them even use Bible terminology, to describe each one of these positions. We have the oppressor, the universal criminal, and renegated, renegade enemy. Now, what, who does that describe? Alright, so you just fill that right in there in Satan. Next one is the power executor. Now, who would that be? Holy Spirit. Exactly. Write that in the Holy Spirit, because he executes the power of God. Now, the next one is the provider of authority. Who, who gave authority? Jesus. Right? He gave, Behold, I have authority, I give you authority. Right? So Jesus, you put, he's the provider of authority. Now, who is the sick or the recoverer? That would be man. Right? Who's the judge? The executor of judgment for all the oppressed? That'd be, would that be? Yeah, that'd be God. Look there. And then finally, the enforcer. Who is the co-laborer with deity? That'd be the Christian, right? So once you get all those lined out, everybody knows their job. Once everybody, see, the hardest thing is getting everybody to know their job. Once you know your job, you know what you're supposed to do, right? And, then, and you also know everybody else's job, so you'll know who's responsible for what. Because it's nothing like working for a company that you don't know who's responsible for what. Amen? So this will help you out, okay? And you will never question again. Now, next page is this. The divine flow chart. Okay? This is the way it works in heaven. This is the way God set it up. This is the way it is. First off, the original creation. Now, this is the hierarchy of rank structure. Now, I have to admit, one of these, I should have probably changed a little bit the way I wrote it. You'll see why in just a minute. 
But the original creation, God had it set so that He was in charge. Jesus was with Him, right? Holy Spirit, right? They're all in order there. Even though they're all in one, we just put them in this order for better benefit here. Then you have Adam, which was man. Then you have angels, which includes Satan, because Satan was an angel, right? So this is the original creation of the earth. This was kind of the hierarchy. Now this is before Adam was placed on the earth, or actually this is at the time when Adam was placed on the earth, right? Then, Adam fell. So the the ranking structure got changed. Now it's God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. Then you have Satan and angels, and Adam is below, or man, is below Satan and angels. Right? Because Satan became the god of this world. Adam basically turned it over to him. Then, Jesus' mission. Right? Which essentially was to return us to the original creation. But now that we have an extra little added element here. Because we have not only fallen man, but now we have people that's going to get saved. So now we have two kinds of man. Right? The natural man and the spiritual man. So we're going to have them in two different places. Man is going to be in two places now instead of just one. So here we have God, Holy Spirit. Now notice, when Jesus came down, He put Himself down with man. Isn't that right? Which technically, in the hierarchy, since Satan was the God of this world at this point, it really put Him there also and showed us how to walk in a world where Satan was in command at that point. Right? Now, when He said it is finished... Right? He came down, became what we were, so that we could become what He is. Right? And so now it's like this. You've got God, you've got Jesus with redeemed man. And you say, wait a minute. Why is redeemed man back up there with Jesus? Because we're seated in heavenly places with Him. Right? Then you've got the Holy Spirit who is at work throughout the earth. Now, that doesn't mean you're above the Holy Spirit. You understand that? I just It's hard to put them in both in the same place. So, for illustrative purposes, we had to put it like this. Then, under that, you had Satan and angels. And then, under Satan and angels, you have natural or unredeemed man. Right? Because man is still under Satan's domain. Right? So, now, where are you at? You're there with Jesus. Right? Now, the thing to remember about this is, everybody has somebody below them and somebody above them. Now, your position is, if they're above you, you bow your knee. If they're below you, essentially, you put your foot on them. Okay, that's the real general. Now, here's the problem. God told man, have dominion over the earth. Subjugate it, subdue it, right? Have dominion over everything that crawls on the earth. And he named it, you know, and everything that flies, or everything that flies in the water. Everything that, <laughs> everything that flies in the air and everything that swims and everything that crawls on the earth, right? The only thing God said not to have or never said to have authority over is other men. Right? He never said to have authority over other men. He never said have dominion. Put it that way. He never said have dominion over other men. And yet, throughout natural fallen man's history, what have we been trying to do? Have dominion over men. That's where wars come from. That's where all this stuff comes from. It's men trying to have dominion. Now, Jesus said, it's not going to be among you like it is among the Gentiles where you lord over one another. Right? He said that the way in the kingdom is that you serve one another. So, now here's the thing. God has placed you. We know that we are to be kings. We are made kings and priests under our God. Isn't it right? So we are kings. And we're to reign with Him. Right? That's what the Bible says. Now, our problem is, in times past, we've tried to reign over other men. Rather than recognizing that every benevolent king serves his people. Right? 
A good king looks out for the best interest of the people he serves, right? That he is over. Now, he doesn't, now he may rule, but he doesn't lord. You know the difference? Right? Ruling and lording, there's a difference, right? He told us to rule, but not to lord. He said, you're not going to lord over one another like the Gentiles do. Now, what Jesus did, he came down, raised us back up above Satan, so that now Satan is under our feet, Romans 16.20, right? That the God of peace shall crush Satan shortly under your feet. Isn't that right? So we're under, why? Because we're in his body, so he is under our feet. So every, you have things above you. Every being above you, you bow the knee to. Every, knee, every being below you, generally, as a general rule, you put your foot on. However, natural redeemed man is still under Satan's authority. His dominion, right? Because they're of him. It's, they're his kids. And so, now, we're not going to put our foot on man. We're going to put our foot on Satan. Now, our job is to release man from Satan's bondage. Right? So, if you look at this hierarchy here. Now, people say, but do I have the authority to cast the devil out of somebody that doesn't want, you know, somebody that, that wants to keep it? Yeah, two reasons. You have authority over demons. They're under you. And you have authority over men. Now, demons, you lord over. Men, you rule over. You get that? You rule. Now, what that means is, that doesn't mean that you boss them around. It means that you serve. How do you serve mankind? Now, write this down. All right, you may want to write this down. Six words. It'll be a sentence, but there's six main words. You need to get this into you. You need to be able to say it this way. And remember I told you earlier, if you're a female, you're still a son. Right? Because you're in him. Not looked upon as a female per se. Looked upon as a son because you're in the son. Now, so you say it this way. I am God's son, man's servant, and the devil's master. Right? When you get it, when you get this. Now, actually another way that you could say it, another order would be this. I am God's son, the devil's master, man's servant. Now the reason I say that is this. If you are God's son, or let me, let me go from the bottom up. To be man's servant, you must be Satan's master. Because if you're not Satan's master, you can't serve man because you can't get sickness and disease off of them because they're not going to listen to you. Right? So to be man's servant, you must be Satan's master. But to be Satan's master, you must be God's son. Isn't that simple? Now, this isn't the weird, we're going to reign and reign. See, back in the 80s, there was this big, I'm a king's kid mentality. And they should have changed it to, I'm a king's brat. Because that was our mentality, right? We're a bunch of spoiled brats. You know, bless God, I deserve to be blessed, and I'm going to be blessed. No, you deserve to be a blessing. That's what you deserve to be. That's what you should be, right? So get the king's brat mentality out, and get, a, if you want to be a king's, don't even, don't even settle for a king's kid. You are kings. We're made kings and priests. Unto our God, according to Revelation. And so, now, you lord over Satan, you rule over man. How do you rule? By serving him, by setting him free. The way you lord over Satan is by setting man free. While you put your foot on his head, you are taking men out of his grasp. Okay? Your purpose is to set people free. That's it. You understand that? Now, we understand to worship God, love God. That's what God said. They asked him, what's the greatest commandment? What did he say? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he added and said, matter of fact, there's a second one that's just as important. Like as unto the first. He says, and that's this. 
Thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. Now, another way of saying that, he said in Matthew seven twelve, whatever you would that men should do to you, you do to them. That's how you love your neighbor as yourself. So the, the essence of this is this. Even Solomon said it. He said, let's hear an end of the matter. Everything is vanity, but let's hear an end of the matter. Love God, keep his commandments. That's it. See, we think there's, you know, well, there's ten commandments we've got to follow. No. You, you, you keep the ten when you keep the two. Okay? If you keep the two, you can't violate the ten. Technically, I don't know where you get those ten commandments because there's a thousand and fifty in the New Testament. Alright? But if you do these two, you'll fulfill them all. See, that's why I, I want to take it, I, I, want you, I want to simplify it for you. That you don't have to know the whole Bible. I'm not saying don't study, I'm not saying don't read. I'm just saying don't think you have to know it all before you can walk in it. Right? That's the growth process. You should be able to know this. Love God, keep His commandments. Love the Lord thy God with all the heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. How do you love your neighbor as yourself? You do to them what you would have done for you. That wraps it up. If you will live that in every way, you will always be right. Now, I just taught this recently. I don't, we don't have it on a CD back there. I talked this at my church, as a matter of fact. And I want to throw this in because it's really kind of... The, the thing that holds Christians back is you think that there's some reason why God would not want you to set people free. Somehow, sowing and reaping, something in their life, sin in their life, you're not ready. You think there's something that God is there going, nope, not yet. Okay? Now, in Galatians it says, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, it talks about the works of the flesh. Isn't that right? And it says about the fruit of the Spirit, it's amazing, it goes through all these things, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, meekness, temperance, isn't that right? All these things. Nine fruit of the Spirit. And at the very end, this is the key. It says, against such, there is no law. You know what that means? Let me put it to you in a common vernacular. You can love people. You can have joy. You can have long-suffering. All those nine things, you can do any of those nine things all you want. There is no law against it. Isn't that simple? Now you think, okay, what do you mean I can love anybody? Okay, now, if you love your neighbor as yourself, that means you can do for them what you would want done for you. If you were sick, you're, you're sitting somewhere in a department store. You're sitting there waiting on somebody else because you're sick. Somebody walks by that claims to be Christian, spirit-filled, full of the power of God, full of the life of God, full of the Spirit of God. Amen? They walk by in front of you. They have the power of God. Would you want them to come lay hands on you and set you free? Okay, now, in your answer, you have just bound and commissioned yourself into a healing ministry. Because whatever you would that men should do to you, you do unto them. Isn't that simple? Now, that's the essence of it. So, if you claim to be born of God, have God's Spirit, spirit Spirit-filled, right? Then you have a responsibility to do to them what you would want done for you. Notice it doesn't say do to them what they want you to do. Thank God it didn't say that. Because if it did, and you walk past somebody on the street corner that's uh, maybe an alcoholic or something, and you'd have to say, excuse me, what do you want me to do for you? And they're going to say, I want you to buy me a fifth of whiskey. Right? And we would be bound by Scripture to do it. But it didn't say do what they want you to do. It says do what you would want done for you. So see, that answers the question. Well, what if they want to keep their demon? So, it didn't say ask them what they want and do what they want. It says do what you would want done for you. If you had a devil, would you want it cast out? There you go. 
Well, yeah, but if they want it, how can I cast it out? Because you have authority over devils. You need to go back to the flow chart. Isn't that right? Everything under that, you've got authority over. You can tell them to go. If they want it back, they can get it back. Right? See, I can get you free. I can't keep you free. See, I can get you free because I have authority over all sickness and disease and devils. I can't keep you free because after I'm gone, you can live any way you want. And if you live a life... See, you're going to... Your life will draw like begets like. Alright? Deep calleth unto deep. I can go to all these different scriptures. You are going to draw to you people of your level. That's why... Have you ever been around people that claim to be Christian? And they're... Yeah, in church everything is right. But yet you look at them and you're like, Man, the words are right. Everything sounds right, but there's something that ain't right. Why? It's because they draw nigh you with their lips, but their heart is far from you. Why? It's because they're, they're, they're in a church mode. They're saying the right thing, you know, even doing the right thing to a degree, but their heart. You know, what are they doing when they go home? What are they doing when they're not around? Other, in other words, are they like chameleon Christians? You know, when they're around Christians, everything's, oh, praise the Lord. But when they're around their drinking buddies, hey, bring me another one. You see what I'm saying? Do you, do you conform to the level? You will conform to the level of the people you hang around with. That's why you, you, and you, you will draw that level of people. That's why I, I told all my kids, don't marry down. Marry up. Find somebody that's stronger spiritually than you are and marry them. Because they will pull you up because you want to go up. Now, if you don't want to go up, you'll pull them down. That's the way it works. And they said, is that fair to the other people? I'm not concerned about them. <laughs> I'm given responsibility for my kids, okay? And so, but you should, you should always aspire, right? Your friend, I heard somebody say, your friends are like elevators. They'll either take you up or take you down. But they generally don't leave you where they found you, right? So you need, that's why sharp, you know, iron sharpens iron. Get around people that sharpen you. Don't get around dull people or people that dull you either way. So, does this help you out some? Did you see that chart though? I'm telling you, this... For me, I just like things clear and simple. Yeah. You know, uh, I don't like all the little things you have to try to figure out because I just don't see Jesus doing that. Now, the other thing. Let's see where are we at here. Oh, we're doing good time-wise. Yes, we're doing good. Okay, back to what we're talking about. Now, we have made it all the way to page five in the manual. Okay. <laughs> now we've covered a lot of ground, but I want to hit this one point. On page five, the last paragraph there says. The principle here, remember we were talking earlier about how God spoke at once and the sun comes back around, the earth goes around, and all that kind of stuff. Is that we have daylight every day and it's all set, right? He doesn't have to get up every morning and say, let's do it again. It continues. See, God speaks it and it continues until he says, stop. Right? Isn't that what's going to happen? Then why do you think that whenever he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, that that only lasted for a certain period of time? It didn't, right? You know, it's funny because everybody will admit we have the Great Commission. And if we have the Great Commission, then everything that was with the Great Commission goes with it. Why do you think? Think about this. No army, no general in his right mind would send in a crack trained troop of, of, of soldiers. Somebody that goes in and just kicks the heck out of the enemy. I mean, just beats them every time he turns around. And then pulls them out after he just slapped the enemy around. And then sends in the, the B-string with no gifts, no weapons, no tools, nothing. And says, alright, now I'm going to leave. Y'all, y'all mix it up and you know, hope you last. No, you're not, that makes no sense. That would be like me turning my son when he was a little child. Going in and picking a fight with somebody big. Slapping him around and then sticking my son in there and going, well I hope you can handle it. 
No, I, all I've done is make him mad. You know, right? Not my son, the other guy. And he's going to tear my son up. So what am I going to do? If, I'm a, if I am a responsible father, I'm going to give my son everything he needs to take care of the situation, even if I'm not there to do it. Isn't it right? I'm going to train him, give him the tools, give him the weapons, tell him, all the, tell him every secret I know about that enemy to help him win. That's what God has done. He didn't take away, well, you know, the end of the apostolic age. All the gifts ceased. Have you ever pictured what that had to look like, if that was true? I mean, they say the Apostle John was the last one to die, right? And they tried to boil him in oil and they couldn't, you know, you know the church tradition. And so he, he was the only one that we know of that died uh, of old age, basically, at an elderly age. Now, think about this. Here's this, the Apostle John. The power of God, all this stuff. And remember, he was one of the sons of thunder, right? And you look at these people, and you got the Apostle John. Here he is, elderly, dying, on his deathbed, about to die. And they got everybody lined up, because he's the last apostle. When he's gone, the apostolic age is over, all healing stop, all miracles stop, everything. Can you imagine all the sick people? They're going to be lined up at the door. You know, his disciples, John's disciples, are going to be there going, Come on, get them through quick. And he's laying there on his bed, dying. And they're taking his hand, here, okay, be healed, okay, go. Next, next, come on, quick. He's going quick. It's all going to end. When it's... Of course that didn't happen like that. But that's the way it would have to happen if we really believed that everything left. See, we put stock in men. We keep thinking that it's the twelve apostles. No, it's the Spirit of God. It wasn't the acts of the apostles. It was the acts of the Holy Ghost through men of God. See, that's what we... We keep trying to build up men instead of exalting Jesus. We have a, a thing on our... Um, actually down our church. It says... That, that we are to exalt God, exhort men, exhaust the devil. That's our job. Okay? Exalt God, exhort men, and exhaust the devil. Unfortunately, usually it's all mixed around. Okay? You can change those words around. That's usually the way it is in the church most of the time. But anyway, we, God said it once and it happened, right? So the principle here is this. That God only has to say something one time for it to come to pass. And it will continue coming past until he changes it or says it stops. Now there's not one scripture in the Bible that says healing stop. There's people that tried to make it say that, but there is nothing that even remotely says it. The closest it comes, or I should say the scripture that they try to use, is it says that when the perfect has come, all these things will stop. Okay. Well, the perfect there is a Greek word, teleosis, and it means when everything has come to full age and full completion, and we have all matured up, and we don't need those things anymore. Now, to be honest with you, we're going to need healing until there's no sick. Alright? So, apparently, whenever we have got to a place where we get all the sick healed, then those things might stop. Okay? And, and a point where we walk in divine health or whatever. Now, is it going to happen here? Is it not going to happen here? That's for the theologians to fill out. All I know is I'm busy. Alright? They can, they can sort all that stuff out. Now, let's look at this. In uh, Isaiah chapter 53, matter of fact, if you have the manual, you can go to chapter 3, and I believe I have the whole Isaiah 53 there for you. I should. Isn't it in there? I think I have it in your manual. No? Yeah, there it is. I got it in mine too. Isaiah 53. And then we're going to hit this heavier probably in the next session. But I wanted to just give you this real quick right at first. In Isaiah 53, verse 4, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Verse 5, 
But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was put upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Now, the one thing that stands out about that whole verse all the way through is it keeps saying, we and his, and his and our, and he and us. Isn't that right? Over and over again. Do you realize that Jesus didn't do anything for himself? Everything he did, right? He borne our griefs. He, and, and carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He wasn't wounded for his transgressions. Right? So everything he did, he did for us. Now, notice that last part, verse 5. last part of verse 5. And with his stripes we are healed. Now, if you go over to 1 Peter 2.24, I don't have that one there for you. Actually, it's in there somewhere, but not on that page. It says, by whose stripes ye were healed. Now, there are people that would try to say, well, now that's talking about spiritual healing, getting saved, and not physical healing, because it talks about transgressions and all that stuff before that. So it's talking about spiritual healing and not physical. First off, the word used there for healing, or healed, in First Peter 2.24, in the Greek, is a word that was always used for physical healing. It was never once used for spiritual healing, or any other type of healing. Matter of fact, to even prove it further, there was one time that the word was used in the Old Testament. Remember, the Old Testament in Hebrew was translated into the Greek, and that's the Bible that Jesus and those guys mainly read out of at that time, was the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. And the same word is used in 1 Peter 2.24 that was actually used over in Isaiah 53. And it was also used only one time that wasn't referring to an actual physical uh, bodily healing, And even then, it was referred to as the temple altar was healed. Meaning that even when it wasn't referring to a human body, it was referring to the physical restoration of a physical thing. So it never referred to spiritual healing. So for someone to say that this refers to spiritual healing, they do not know their Greek. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I have friends that are. Michael Brown speaks like seven languages. And every time I have a question, I can call him and he'll tell me in the Hebrew or Greek. My wife and I were driving somewhere one time and he was, we were listening to a tape of his and he was reading out of the scriptures. And she said, that's, that's not King James. What, what translation is he reading out of? And I said, he, he's reading out of the original Hebrew. Because he reads it, that's his Bible, is the original Hebrew. Or the you know, Hebrew text. And so, whenever they say that, they say it was spiritual and not physical. They don't know what they're talking about. How many of you heard of a book called Bodily Healing and the Atonement? By T.J. McCrossin. Right? Not many. Right. We usually carry it. I don't think we have any in there. They're getting pretty hard to find. Actually, you can get them. But it is the best book on healing, basically, that there is. It is written by a man named T.J. McCrossin, who was the Greek and Hebrew examiner for the Presbyterian Church for their ordination staff. And he was the professor of Greek and Hebrew at, the, at their uh, seminary. This man was the accepted Hebrew and Greek scholar of his day. He lived back in the 30s. He wrote this book. The book went out of use. Eventually, Kenneth Hagin and Roy Hicks put it back into uh, publication. It's an excellent book. It's a small book, it's, but it's not easy to read. You've got to really sit down and go through it. It doesn't have these healing chapters like we would think. It has, you know, point one, principle one, that kind of thing. He said, not me. He said he is, an, he is an authority still accepted by pretty much every person as an authority of the Greek and Hebrew. 
Now, he said this. For any person, scholar, actually the word he used, for any scholar to say that healing is not included in the atonement, that bodily healing is not included in the atonement, proves one of two things. The person is either not a scholar and does not know Greek and Hebrew, or he is a liar. Now, you've got to take the pick. Now, that's pretty bold, right? I mean, I, I say things pretty straight, but I didn't call anybody a liar. Okay, well, I've come pretty close. But anyway, now, that's what he said, because he did this study. It is an excellent book. It's worth getting. You ought to get it. You ought to be in your library. You ought to study it. Okay, bodily healing in the atonement. Now, I was blessed recently when I was in New York. His son, his grandson, his grandson, yeah, uh, pastors a church in New York, and I got to meet him. And talk with him about his grandfather and the stuff that he knew about him and see some books and see some things that he wrote. Now, it is amazing when you go into this. We're going to talk more about healing in the atonement when we come back, I would assume. But here's, what, here's a point I want to get to. We just pointed out Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, and also down in verse 11 and 12. We're going to look at that too. It says, by his stripes we were healed. First Peter 2.27, actually in Isaiah it says, by his stripes we are healed. Right? Or present tense. First Peter two twenty five two twenty four. By whose stripes you were healed. Past tense. So something happened between Isaiah fifty three and first Peter two twenty four for Peter to be able to scripturally and biblically change that scripture from present tense to past tense. Which means that there was something done that changed it from we are presently healed to we were healed at a definite period and point in time. Now the only thing that happened between Isaiah 53 and 1 Peter 2.24 was the crucifixion of Christ. Now we can narrow it down even more so. Because if you go to Matthew chapter 8 verses 16 and 17 it says first off in the evening they brought to him all that were sick from round about there. And it says, and he healed them all. Now it talks about him casting out devils and people were possessed of devils and him healing the sick and all this stuff. And it says, and he healed them all so that it might be fulfilled that which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah that said, by his stripes, after what it says, that he carried our infirmities and bore our weaknesses. Now, at that point, it was still, according to Isaiah, present tense. So up to that point, the thing had not happened that changed it from present tense to past tense. So something happened after that point in time, which the only thing after that, that puts us even closer to the crucifixion of Jesus. So when Jesus was crucified at that point in time, now, trying to hurry here, i got about seven minutes to get this out. Now, remember I told you earlier you didn't need great faith? How would you like to know you didn't need any faith? Well, wouldn't that be a shock? Right? You know, you hear all this stuff. Well, Jesus said, when, when the Son of Man returns, shall he find faith on the earth? I'm not sure. I know he'll find lots of tapes and books on faith, but I'm not sure how much faith he's actually going to find. Because everybody's writing books and tapes on it, right? But now think about this. All through the Old Testament, all the old, every healing, Isaiah himself said, by his stripes we are healed. Right? Projecting forward to the point whenever Jesus would come and bear on his back the stripes. Because it's by his stripes. Okay, let me throw this in. Parenthetical inside of a parenthetical. Okay. Jesus 
bore the stripes before he was crucified. Right? They whipped him, took him back to Pilate, wanted to let him go. Pilate wanted to let him go and finally didn't and then crucified him. Now think about this. What if, remember the scripture, by his stripes we're healed. What if Pilate had released him? You'd still be healed. Healing would still be available. Would salvation? No. I know it's a theoretical thing, but I'm trying to emphasize the separateness of it. The finality of the stripes, of the healing coming by the stripes. You get that? Because by his stripes were healed, he bore the stripes. Even, the, even if he hadn't been crucified, right? We'd still be healed. Physically, right? I know you don't have to think of that, but he did die, so it's okay, right? Now, think about this. <clears throat> we're looking at him. All of the old prophets. Do you realize that every there was no right for any person to get healed, and every person that was healed, according to Isaiah, was healed by his stripes. Every person that's ever been healed was healed by his stripes. Now, whenever all the Old Testament prophets said that, had he bore the stripes? So technically, it was all by credit, right? All the healings throughout the Old Testament was all by credit, based on what he was going to do, right? Because it hadn't been done yet. Now, credit is another word for faith. And now we tell people, well, you know, put some money down for good faith, or, or he's, he said it in good faith, he meant, so I gave him credit for it. And then what it means? When somebody gives you credit, they're basically having faith in you. Right? All Old Testament healings were by credit. They were all by faith. Right? Because why were they by faith or by credit? Because he had not been striped yet. Right? He had not been whipped. It had not been, so it was all looking forward. Now, had he not been whipped, then, well, we could go into a lot of um, speculation about what would happen, but had he not accomplished that, then all those healings would have been illegal. Right? Because they weren't paid for. You, you understand what I'm saying? Now, but since he bore the stripes, that means up to that point when he bore the stripes, that means that every healing throughout the Old Testament, every time you read about healing, it was based on him coming and being striped so that we could be healed. So it was all by faith. Now, I'm not asking you for your money. But I just want you to think. How many of you have money in a bank account right now? You don't have to raise your hand. But just, you know if you do or not, right? Now, think how much money you have in the bank. Now, could you, without any real problem, and without worrying about the check bouncing, could you write a check for $5? Okay? If you have, what, $10 in the bank, then you could write a check for $5. Right? Would there be any hesitation on your part to write it? Let's say you had $1,000 in the bank. Would there be any hesitation to write a $5 check? Why? Because you know you got it covered. Right? Would it take any faith on your part? To write a $5 check on a $1,000 account. Any faith at all? None. Right? Why? Because you know it's there. You put the money there. If the bank says, excuse me, uh, you don't have an account here. Okay? Are you going to go, oh, I thought I did. Okay. I'm sorry. No, you're not. You're going to be right there in that bank teller's face. Or you're going to you want to see a manager. Or say, and then right? You're going to say, bless God, here's, here's a receipt. I put it here. Here's a receipt. Well, I'm sorry, sir. That's just uh, income paper. That doesn't mean anything. Well, excuse me, it does too. It means I put money in your bank. That's a receipt, right? That shows that you received it, and that's my proof that I put the money there. That's all I have. I don't have the money. I put the money in. Is that right? You get the picture here? Now, Jesus 
died. He bore the stripes. Is that fact or fiction? It's a fact. Now, do you need faith for a fact? You don't need faith for a fact, right? You know your name, it's a fact. You don't need faith to say your name. You have money in the bank, you don't need faith to write a check. Why? Because it's a fact. Right? Jesus bore the stripes. It's a fact. You're healed. It's a fact. But I don't feel healed. That doesn't matter. Oh, you don't have an account. You weren't healed. Really? That's funny. I got it right here on a piece of paper. Written. Black and white. Right here. It says I am. I got a receipt. Anybody says otherwise, they're liars. Right? Let God be true, but every man a liar. You know what the Bible says? Do you see the correlation? This is a fact. Jesus is bearing our, our sicknesses, our diseases. It's a fact. Do you need faith for a fact? No. Now, do you need faith to get in Christ? Yeah. You need faith in Him and you're in Him. Now, in Him is healing. Right? Y'all have Sam's up here, don't you? I thought I saw a Sam's, Sam's Club. Because I've got a Sam's Club card thing. Yeah. When I walk to the door, they don't want to see my bank account. You know what they want to see? My Sam's card. Isn't it right? They don't even care if I have money on me because they don't know if I'm there to buy or anything else. They just, all they want to see, they don't even ask me, Where, can I see your Sam's membership card? Isn't it right? That's all I need. If I got that card, I can get anything in that store. Isn't it right? Amen. I mean, they don't care what I buy. All they want to know is, am I, am I a member? Hello, that's heaven. Right? Heaven doesn't care what you buy. You want healing? He doesn't care. Yeah, healing, it's yours. It's in here. Come on inside Jesus and get it. Have you got your card? Yes, you betcha. You know, you know how I got his card? I got his name. I got his name. I got faith. You see? But do I need faith? See, I need faith to get in him. Do I need faith for anything that's in him? No. Why? Because it came with it. Right? Did you have to have faith that when you bought the car, that you were actually going to have a transmission? It came with the car. Right? Should have. If you didn't, you can go to a different dealer. Right? Okay? It came with it. Do you understand? Healing comes with him. It's yours. It's not a matter of you trying to, well, I, well I'm in, what makes you any different from somebody out in the world? They need faith if they're going to get it for themselves because they don't have a right to it. You don't need faith. You've got a right to it. He's yours. He, he, everything, he says if he, if he gave us Jesus, will he not with Jesus give us everything? Isn't that right? He gave us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Doesn't healing pertain to life? If you're sick and you don't get healing, don't you die? So healing would pertain to life. You got it. You got a receipt right there that says you got it. But now there's a, the problem is, see, we have a person who died, left us a will, and he's not here in the flesh. And now the problem is, we have a crooked lawyer that keeps telling us that this stuff in his will isn't ours. And we'd rather believe the crooked lawyer than to enforce the will and say, you know what, you're a liar. This is mine. He told right there, that's mine. Do you get it? That's why I'm telling you, you don't need faith for healing. You need faith to get in him. When you get in him, healing is part and parcel. That's... You know, you, you don't need faith to be a citizen of the United States. Once you become a citizen, everything that's part of being a citizen is yours. Right? But there are times whenever you have to stand up and fight for the things that are yours. Amen? Back in 1863, January 1st, this tall skinny guy stands up and gives this Emancipation Proclamation in which he says, now get this, because there's been some misconstruing going on there. When he got up, he did not say, I am freeing every slave. What he said was, I am freeing every slave in the belligerent states south of the Mason-Dixon line. That's what he actually did. He didn't free the, the slaves in the north. If you read it, he didn't do it. Now, later on they did. And it, but the moment he... Now, think about this. He freed slaves. The south at that point was a separate country. 
England and France recognized the Confederacy as a separate country. Right? Then Abraham Lincoln, President of the United States of the North, gets up and says, all the slaves in the South, you're free. That's kind of like President Bush gets up and saying, everybody in England doesn't have to pay taxes this year. (laughs) Right? The English people say, yay, and the English Parliament would say, yeah, you try it. And they're right? Because they say he doesn't have the authority. But now get this. He set free slaves that didn't belong to him. That he had no authority over. And they're right? Technically. Now, at that moment, according to the United States government, slaves were free. And they're right? The war lasted another two years. But do you realize, that was in 1863. But do you realize that most of the slaves did not realize their freedom for another hundred years. You get that? That's what the civil rights movement was about. Because they, you know, you know why it took a hundred years for them to experience the freedom that was produced for them back a hundred years before it? Because they put up with it. And finally they said, you know what? We're fed up. We're going to have the same rights as anybody else. We're going to have the same rights that was guaranteed to us. And bless God, we will fight to get those rights. And they're right. And they started marching. Martin Luther King Jr. followed the principles of Gandhi to the most, you know, most part of, of peaceful resistance, that kind of thing. But you need to realize they had to stand up and say. Now, that's the problem. Jesus bought your healing 2,000 years ago. But as long as you put up with it, you will stay in bondage. But at some point, you have to decide, bless God, this far and no more. It ends here today. I am free. It's mine. The devil's a liar. And he cannot stay in my body anymore. So body, line up with the word of God and be free. People ask me, how do you get healed and stay healed? This is how. First off, it's by what I believe. And my belief keeps the stuff off of me. Then if there is an attack and something actually starts to get a hold of me, I take a walk. And I'll get out and walk around the block. And usually by the time I get back, it's gone. Very seldom do symptoms stand me more than about 45 minutes at the most. But the reason is, is I don't let them get time to get dug in. Right? As soon as I feel weird, I'll take a walk. Bless God. No. Mm-mm. And I'll start. Bless God. Satan. Especially if he attacks my family or something like that. I'll tell him. For every minute you stay, I'm going to go find five people and pray for them. So how many people do you want well? And that's what I tell him. And he's learned. You say, where in the world did you get that? World War II. Whenever the French resistance would kill a, a Nazi colonel or something like that. For that colonel, they would, the Nazis would gather up maybe 500 peasants, take them out in the woods and shoot them in retaliation, right? 500 for one colonel. Seemed fair to them. Not fair, but seemed fair. So, since Satan came up with that system, I figured out he knew and understood that system. And so I just turned it on him and said, okay, bless God, you hit my kid, guess what? I'll hit five of your kids and set them free. How do you like that? And I'll keep doing it until you're gone. And it's amazing. When you start doing that, first you have to prove it to him. But once you prove it, he starts to believe you. See, but you have to have the will to back it up. You see, that's the problem. Most Americans don't have the will to fight. They don't have the will to stand. They lay down and let anything go on and say, well, it must be God's will. No, God's will is right there in that book. God's will is freedom. He is for the oppressed. Amen?